there's a horrifying stat that the ocean's going to have more plastic than fish in it by 2050. My name is Ryan Growney. I'm 16 years old and I'm a high school student. I'm Thomas Growney, Ryan's twin brother. I'm Chris Growney. I'm a retired tech executive and investor. I'm Thomas and Ryan's dad. The two brothers and their dad are looking for ways to disrupt the old models of youth service. Service should be engaging. We've got the drive. We've got the resources. We've got the capital. We have the passion. We have to take our inspiration and turn it into real actionable progress. And we want to change the world. Welcome to Service Academy. Thomas and Ryan moderated a panel at Catalyst 2030, the global movement of people and organizations committed to achieving the UN Sustainable Development Goals by 2030. And they asked Betsy Calmer from YVC to join them. Betsy from YVC. She, throughout the whole process, was really, really willing to help us. And I think that we were able to kind of develop that connection a little bit more. And she's something that I would totally love to work with again, and I, it sounds like she would like to work with us again, too. So I was a little nervous about it just because, like, this is my first time really doing a panel like that. I mean, I did a panel in person here at school, um, and it did not go so well. I was nervous. My hands were shaking, my heart was beating real fast. I was, like, constantly sipping water through the entire thing. A parent always just wants to see the kids when they relax. Even if it's not perfect, as long as they relax, that made me feel better. And then clearly they just crushed it. Again, they did a lot of prep. I was very, very proud. I think that we have some credit with all of our panelists now that we've done this. I mean, just having that connection. Also, I think that we just kind of got our idea out in the world a little bit more. Having people know about it in that circle, I think is also a win. It was beautiful to see the engagement. I believe it really made an impact, open up the discussion about service and about youth service. Catalyst 2030, it's a big organization. They're really doing amazing stuff. This episode's feature is Dr. Chad Nelson, CEO of the Surfrider Foundation, a grassroots nonprofit that works to protect and preserve the world's oceans and beaches. The Surfrider Foundation. The Surfrider Foundation. The Surfrider Foundation. Volunteers with Surfrider Foundation spanned out across our coastline this morning to pick up trash. Local Surfrider chapters host hundreds of beach cleanups annually, which remove hundreds of thousands of pounds of trash from our beaches. They grade coastal states on their ability to protect their beaches from erosion, rising sea levels, and poorly planned developments. The Surfrider Foundation has 200 chapters across the country. Their mission is to protect oceans and beaches and and wildlife. We've been hearing about Surfrider for a while now. Surfing is like a huge part of how we spend quality time as a family. And so Surfrider really comes to mind a lot when we're thinking about water conservation and access. It's funny because we often use beach cleanup as a stand-in for something that's good volunteer work. But it really isn't moving the needle long term. So this, what Surfrider is doing, is on a whole different level. It's summer, and that means it's time to hang out at the beach. And for the Surfrider Foundation, keeping our beaches clean and beautiful is a year-round endeavor. The Surfrider Foundation was actually founded 30 years ago by some surfers in Malibu, California. In 1984, a small group of people, surfers, came together to fight a beach alteration that was going to threaten First Point Malibu. Initially, Surfrider was founded by four surfers concerned with the environmental impact of coastal developments near their favorite surf break, which was... Surfrider Beach in Malibu. At first, it doesn't really necessarily seem like a really selfless mission. That isn't like saving the spot you like to surf at so you can keep surfing there. They were really channeling their love of surfing and the desire to protect one of the most beautiful surf spots in our country, if not the world, which is Malibu First Point. They turned that passion into a grassroots campaign so every community can be able to save their local beach, access to that local beach, make sure that local beach is clean for swimming, 
One of the founders, Chad, grew up in a coastal community where he was a lifeguard in the 80s and he saw, I guess, firsthand how waterways were affected and polluted. He's a really strong example of someone taking their passion and turning it into a career focused on change. I was lucky enough to grow up in Laguna Beach in Southern California and I was a beach kid, so I was surfing and swimming and fishing and my dad was a marine biology educator and a science educator and ran a summer camp, so I got, I got to learn a lot about the health and the ecology of the ocean from him and also just how fragile it is. I went to college, didn't really think about it, and was looking for environmental jobs, more like forests and more traditional kind of work, ecology work. And one of my mentors, a friend of my father's, this guy named John Earhart, recommended this program at Duke University. It was a coastal environmental management program. Never had heard of such a thing. And I was like, that's it. That's what I need to do. He really had this love of science and a desire to really help the environment, but he wasn't getting anywhere with a bachelor's degree. That's a little bit scary because, I mean, we're about to go to college, and I was just thinking about how, oh, I can just go to college and I'll be done. But it sounds like graduate school really means something. So he went and got his master's at the Coastal Environmental Management Program at Duke's Nicholas School of Environment. The Coastal Management Program at Duke allowed him to be able to gain additional credentials, and I think that was the point when he found his passion. And after grad school, he really explored the coastal zone management jobs in the federal and state government. But he didn't feel like the government was working with the urgency that was needed. But at the same token, the strategies that they're using, working the levers of power through activism by going through local politicians, regional politicians, and national politicians, is not normally a pathway that you would think would be consistent with urgency. Our seas are rising and becoming more acidic. Our beaches are disappearing. Our coastlines are drowning in plastic and our waterways are polluted with harmful chemicals and sewage. Whenever we go to the beach, it's never good to see a lot of litter, right? Well, that's why the Surfrider Foundation clean ups the trash. So we're working with local communities around the country and around the world, cleaning up beaches, working on beach access, helping clean the water. Five trillion plastic bags are used each year and one million plastic bottles are bought every minute. All these plastic bottles and bags land into ocean. And to be precise, 13 million tons of plastic land into ocean every year. You see, all this plastic from the oceans ends up on the beaches. A couple sad facts yeah. about plastic is that one, it is a fossil fuel product. It is made from oil and it's laden with toxic chemicals. Two, it does not biodegrade, meaning that the earth cannot digest it. It photodegrades, so it gets broken into smaller and smaller and smaller pieces. The fish are eating it. And we're eating the fish. Yep. There's a horrifying stat that the ocean's going to have more plastic than fish in it by 2050. Dirty water is bad for everyone. The water is getting worse. Beach access is declining. Beach cleanliness is degrading. Shorelines are moving further and further inland. That's all happening very quickly. So to a large degree, this sense of urgency reflects the negative impact on local communities. When you can't go swimming in the water, then obviously the joy of living near the water is gonna be severely diminished. 1991 marked a significant milestone for the Surfrider Foundation when we filed and won the second largest clean water lawsuit in the United States. That ruling put the organization on the map and thrust Surfrider Foundation into the spotlight as a bona fide player in the world of environmental activism. What I think is super, super cool about their win 
and uh, the whole lawsuit about Martin's Beach is that it shows that they can take on these very, very wealthy people and, and win. Solving problems that include cleaning up public beaches, saving wetlands. They've planted thousands and thousands of trees. They've stopped irresponsible luxury developments or irresponsible developments in general. Commercial waste they've dealt with created science-driven anti-plastic projects, stopping sewage spills. This community of normal people can truly make a huge impact, and that's seen by the courts, and that's seen by the people who continue to pollute. And I think that that's really important. So the local victories are all really adding up to more than just those individual wins. And those wins are adding up to some big things indeed. Dr. Chad Nelson is the CEO of the Surfrider Foundation. Um, we've spent a lot of time fighting offshore drilling off our coastlines, and now we're calling for permanent bans. Earlier today, Congressman Mike Levin calling for the end to offshore drilling and the passage of his bill, the American Coast and Oceans Protection Act. Recently, we had one of the biggest wins at the Surfrider Foundation. We stopped the threat of offshore drilling off the Atlantic coast. This was a joint effort from our chapters from Florida all the way up to New York. We had 35 chapters rallied together. They met in DC, they talked to the White House, they talked to the Bureau of Energy Management. We had over 100 local resolutions and communities and that cumulative effort ultimately protected the Atlantic for the future. Some victories to highlight. Establishment of the Marine Reserve at Trace Palmas in Puerto Rico. Overturning a longtime surfing ban in the city of Chicago securing regulations and commitments from the local municipalities to enhance water quality at Nye Beach in Oregon, establishment of a fee on single-use plastics in Washington, D.C., and our recent Trestles victory in a state park in California. And I mean, it's so cool that they have these tangible results. I mean, you can physically go to the waterways where they've stopped sewage being dumped. We supported all of our chapters in the state of Washington, supported a bill that was passed to restore at least 10,000 acres of kelp forests and eelgrass meadows along the Washington coast by 2040. It's again another buffer against sea level rise and flooding, natural solutions in the ocean, a big minimum recycled content bill in New Jersey, another state level bill, strengthening Everglades protection and restoration policies in Florida and wetlands protection, mangrove protection in Miami. We got them to withdraw the ordinance that would have made it harder to, to do the mangrove plantings and restoration, which we're also doing in Puerto Rico. You can see the ecosystem changing in places that they protected. And it's even cooler though that they add up to something bigger. I mean, they're all helping with these like huge global problems like climate change and pollution just one step at a time. There's a senator, Senator Whitehouse from Rhode Island. He wrote a great op-ed in the New York Times, and he said, hey, I'm sympathetic to these Republicans that are climate deniers, which was a surprising thing for him to say because they know better. They're just on the hook to the oil and gas industry who are holding them captive. And so they're forced to pretend like they don't believe when they do. They have to appease their donors. You know, surfers haven't traditionally been the most politically powerful or, or richest group. In a lot of ways, surfers like to be able to get out and surf and enjoy nature and do those types of things. It, it wasn't seen as a politically powerful group in a traditional sense. A lot of people don't really take surfers seriously. Surfing is like a hobby to some people, and that really affects the way people see surfers trying to make change. It's an uphill battle because you're actually looking at it in terms of business and money and politics. And so 
that ends up being a toxic brew if you're trying to be able to keep water clean nearby. We're gonna be launching this big capital fundraising campaign. We're just gonna try to raise 250 million bucks in the next decade. But our budget this year is 13 million. So if we do that for 10 years, that's 130. And it's been growing pretty fast. It's not gonna stay at 13. Five years ago, it was six. If we keep kind of growing at the pace we're growing at, we'll probably raise 180 million. And the problems are urgent. The more money we can raise, the faster we can tackle these problems. Surfrider itself, largely, in my opinion, is an activist organization. It's a, a nonprofit that raises money mostly from philanthropy and then uses that part of legal strategies to be able to support these local campaigns. I, I think nonprofits, in my opinion, and Surfrider in particular, is often a tool that is enabling the voices of other local people. It's strengthening the voices of local people against other powerful interests. You know, we're big believers at Service Academy that it's really about local lived experience and what the people there are doing and making sure that we're elevating the voices of the people in that community. One area where Chad has been really innovative is in putting Surfrider's arguments in the language of dollars and cents. He gets the way the game's played. I was looking at natural resource economics, which is a field. So economists are trying to value these experiences that don't have a price tag. So you, you go skiing, we all know, amazingly enough, a day of skiing is worth 150 bucks because that's what we'll pay to buy a lift ticket. But a day of surfing, what's that day worth? And these natural resource economists had studied everything, but not surfing. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna apply that to surfing. It makes sense. and. That's where surfonomics came from. Chad actually went out to get a doctorate on the economics of coastal recreation and surfing at UCLA to help ensure that our oceans, our, all our waves and our beaches are valued appropriately. He uses this word surfonomics. So anybody who loves surfing knows how crazy it is to put a dollar value on being out there. You know, some people say, I can't believe you're putting a price tag on surfing. It's this spiritual experience. You're demeaning it by putting a dollar sign on it. And, but it's also the currency in which we talk about things. Dr. Chad has pioneered a way to quantify the value, which will really affect how developers and policymakers think about what they do with these beaches and waterways, putting it in terms that the, the business people, quote unquote, can like understand. What started out as a few people, surfers in Malibu, has now grown into over 250,000 supporters, activists, and members worldwide. It's a very entrepreneurial spirit, yeah, right? This yeah. is like, ultimately, like you guys wake up in the morning, and you're like, how are we gonna make this business successful? Right. I'm, uh, we're doing the same thing. Yeah. How are we going to make this planet successful? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, one thing that's really different about Chad is that he's trying to attack these problems with a social entrepreneur slash system change mindset. I mean, it's the same thing we've been talking about since the beginning. If you can find a set of incentives where everyone materially benefits from that resource, then you can create this self-reinforcing, self-perpetuating system that does amazing things because they're in everyone's best interest. What Surfrider has done is it's taken this concept of water access and water cleanliness, which everyone believes at the core, and they've mobilized it into a series of campaigns that said, hey, everybody's concerned about water, but you don't know what to do about it. Well, here are 50 or 60 or 100 locations where someone is being able to attack it at the source. And this is how you can help. It's an incredible model that, you know, Service Academy has a lot to be able to learn from. Surfrider has the reach and the power because it's connected with this mission. And that really gives Surfrider a lot of influence. The kind of distributed chapter combined with a centralized mission is really, really impactful, and it's demonstrated to be that way. And on top of that, it creates individual communities within a larger community. 
And I think that that is really, really powerful. And that's what keeps people coming back to it, keeps people working and making change. What's powerful about their message is that they're making a difference. They are making the world a better place. It's like a hybrid model between like the distributed chapter thing and a top-down centralized organization. And I think that's really because they have such a clear and well-defined and well-thought-out central mission. If service engagement and community engagement and civic engagement becomes the solution to the problems that exist within our communities today, then youth service will benefit substantially from that. And I think Service Academy can do the same thing. For more on the Surfrider Foundation and their mission to keep coastlines safe, healthy, and accessible, visit surfrider.org. This week, the Groundies are thinking about how to align local wins for large-scale impact. If you've got thoughts on that or anything else from this episode, they'd love to hear from you at serviceacademy.org. As always, please rate, subscribe, and share with anyone you think might enjoy this episode.